What's up, all you cool cats and kittens? This is Mike Booch, a.k.a. Snooched the Booch, a.k.a. your E-Bombay, a.k.a. your warrior and king. Thanks so much for coming back for part two of Black Panther. If you haven't listened to part one yet, then head to your podcatcher of choice and listen to part one so that way you can get introduced to Josh and listen to a start to break down the movie. We're going to pick up right where we left off, so sit tight and enjoy part two of our Black Panther breakdown. Three, two, one. is hard to break no matter what it is um but i i think with the two of them specifically they're two sides of the same coin their biggest difference to me is um environment and circumstances i think t'challa could have easily been eric and vice versa mm-hmm. because let's say unjobu was black panther and he was in wakanda and t'chaka was on the war dog assignment that could have easily been T'Challa who ended up becoming Terrence and joining the military, graduating from MIT, doing all that other stuff, going on these assignments, destroying foreign uh, countries from the government and doing all the things that Killmonger did. I I think that that was intentional and it was meant to show how these differences in their lives caused them to be two completely different people when they came from the same place, essentially. And that and that's absolutely... Really quick, did you say that his American name would have been Terrence? I think it would have been Terrence. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you or said Terry. some really good stuff, but that's really what I got out of it, is that he's going to be Terrence. Uh, King Terrence! Um, so, yeah, and when you look at the ways that they both lost their fathers, and when they lost their fathers... Mm-hmm. T'Challa was barely able to deal with that as an adult. Yes. But yet, it was super common for that stuff to happen in in Oakland. It was something that he had seen often. But when it happened to him, obviously, him being a child, um, you see it did affect him. What I will say is this. While T'Challa was barely able to deal with it, ultimately, I think he dealt with his father's passing better than uh, Eric did because of how old he was and where he was at in his life. Absolutely. Because while I would make the argument that both were changed by the death of their fathers, given the point he was at, they opted to handle it differently. Well, definitely. And that that really is the whole point. And that's what their worldviews are based on. And you see this when we're going to skip around a little bit because I have some stuff earlier in the movie I want to get back to. But while we're on the comparison of Killmonger and Black Panther, let's talk about when they both went into the ancestral plane. T'Challa goes into the ancestral plane, is in this beautiful... He's in a literal plane yes. where these panthers are, and, and that's how he sees his a father. literal and metaphysical plane. Exactly. Mm. Whereas Eric, he goes back to that apartment. Home. Yes, he goes back to his home. And there's this moment where they show him as a child and and how he found out about his his birthright and he comes face to face with his father. And this is such a beautiful moment 
because he has to come off as hard. Mm-hmm. He has to come off as emotionally distant and invulnerable so he doesn't show any weakness. And his father notices that. And he just and he says no tears for for me, no tears for your father. And he just says everybody dies. That's what happens around here. That's what happens around here. But then what's funny is child Eric says that, but present day adult Eric does shed a tear. And it's interesting because that whole conversation was um, almost a flashback to that point in time when Eric was a child and when he's being told all these stories of Wakanda and even how the interaction begins with he's coming in there as an adult. He's moving the board on the wall as an adult. But as soon as you hear Njobu say, what did I tell you about going through my things? He reverts back to a child. And that happens to all of us, doesn't it? Yeah. No matter how grown up you are, there's something about your parents that will always bring out that child in you. Yes. For better or for worse. For worse. And he's looking at the journals. <laughs> he's looking at the ring that belonged to his grandfather, Njobu's dad. And, you know, they're having this conversation and then you still have child Eric and, you know, you have Unjobu saying, you know, we're lost. They can't find us. And then he goes back to being adult Eric and he goes, no, we're right here. Maybe they're the ones that's lost. And I thought that was very powerful. And I thought that that's the moment where I think if you weren't a fan of his, maybe that was the moment because now you understand why he's doing what he's doing because uh, he makes it a point to to say when he's speaking to the council, you know, like what you were saying earlier, anytime black people are trying to start a revolution, they get shut down. He goes, where was Wakanda? So it's like you really understand him, I think, on a character level. Like I think they did a really good job of fleshing him out. Even though he was meant to be the foil, he was meant to be the antagonist, the adversary, I think they did a great job of fleshing him out. And he's not too far off from the state of mind that M'Baku is in. Yes. Where he has this whole idea of, okay, well, where is Wakanda? Like, where is the crown for us when we're exiled, when we're elsewhere? You know, where's this inclusivity? And, And that's where Eric is coming from. And I do like that idea of, we may be the minority here, but maybe we're not the ones who are wrong here. Very true. And and it does take his experience to teach T'Challa a lesson. Yeah. Which, let's put a pin in that right, right now. Let's finish up Korea real quick, okay? So... We go through this amazing chase after their costumes are doing awesome stuff. After Black Panther's costume is doing awesome stuff. This, I think, is where the movie passes the Bechdel test. The Bechdel test is a test for stories, movies, books to determine um, whether it's not feminist necessarily. But in order to pass the Bechdel test, you need to have two woman characters, each with their own name who talk to each other about something that is not related to a man. Interesting. You'd be surprised how many movies fail this test. Wow, I've never even heard of that. A lot of them fail the Bechdel test, but Black Panther does not because Nakia and Okoye have a conversation about guns and how they're primitive and everything, and 
you know, uh, they're pretty much useless against Vibranium stuff. Whereas the Dormelage, Okoye included, used their spears. This was a big uh, problem I had seen before the movie came out. There were actually black people complaining that that's how they were being represented in movies. They were like, really, they're this advanced nation and they're still using spears. But really, the spear is used because they upgraded it in their own way. Oh, yeah. They kept their traditions with it. See, and this is another example of tradition actually being beneficial. Because I think, like I was saying before, they're showing how tradition both benefits and hinders a country or a people, a culture. And this is another example of it shining through ultimately because, you know, spear, it takes great skill to wield such a weapon and use it effectively. So if it was a regular run-of-the-mill spear, they'd be outclassed against almost anyone unless they were just using just hand-to-hand. Seeing how they use their advanced technology and their more cultured way of doing things, they upgrade such a simple and ancient weapon and made it more useful than a gun. So it's like, while, yes, it's a spear, but it's a very high-end, sophisticated spear, for sure. I'll take that spear over an M16 any day. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, and that's also shown later with the Border Tribe. They have their cloaks that are actually shields. Which is amazing. Yeah, they have holographic shields, but they don't lose their culture. Exactly, so you get to flex and be safe at the same time. Exactly. And they ride rhinos. (laughs) Now, let's go to this uh, Savage line because Ulysses Claw. Ulysses Claw, uh played by Andy Circus to great effect. Oh, he he was great. So awesome. Great like the one thing I will say, um I, I I was very happy that this was a predominantly black casted film and that the the white actors were limited to two, but the two that were in this movie were great. They played their roles very well and Claw just Andy Circus is just a great actor just through and through so he has these uh little comments that he's made about wakanda throughout the movie his time in the movie and he's always referring to them as savages so what i found to be interesting about that is the fact that he's calling them savages but they are like the most tech savvy country in the world right now but he's calling them savages. Not only that, he is consistently going after vibranium, which is native to Wakanda, because he feels as if they don't use it uh, the way it should be used. And what's also crazy to me is is that his arm, which he has an arm cannon for, is from Wakanda. So you're after items from Wakanda. You're using tech from Wakanda, but they're still the savages. Meanwhile, you are scraping around to feed off of what they have for you to make a living. I just thought that was very interesting. And of course, we see savages being used a lot today as well. And it's not the first time it's been used. We've heard, uh, you know, more subversive terms than the N-word itself being used to discredit uh, and dehumanize the black community. Uh, You know, we've heard, oh, we call them monkeys. We'll call them wildings. Mm -hmm. Uh, The wolf pack, right? That's when the Central Park Five were were arrested. Like called spear chuckers and porch monkeys and everything else like that. So and thugs. Yeah, it's it's all coded language because. 
what I what I did want to ask you was, do you think that um, Claw was specifically calling the Wakandan savages based off of his dealings and experiences with them? Because if you noticed, he must have been captured at one point because he did have that brand mm-hmm. behind his ear that he showed to Killmonger. Do you think that that is solely for Wakandans because he has that hatred for them? Or do you think that extends to anybody African because it didn't seem or anybody black, I should say, because what I also noticed was that he called Killmonger boy often. And for those of you that don't understand the connotation with that, that is another piece of coded language that uh, old crusty ass white men used to use uh, to kind of be a derogatory term towards black men. Mm -hmm. I never thought about it as referring to anyone who is uh, just from the continent I thought he was referring to Wakanda specifically. And I think the big reason why is because he doesn't want to believe that they are what they are. You know, he says that vibranium isn't being used the way it should be used. So in his mind, they are savages for not using it that way. But we also notice that he will use vibranium to profit at any moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw this kind of undertone of, a, of cultural appropriation. Yeah, because what's interesting to me is just the fact that I'm wondering what is the way they should be using it. Should they solely be using it for profit? Because he's going into detail about what Wakanda really is when he was captured and he was being questioned by Ross. He goes, "Uh, do you know what they are? When we talked about this earlier, when he said third world country, textiles, stuff like that. He goes, no, they're the real El Dorado. He goes on to say that they use vibranium and he goes they've been mining it for thousands of years and they still haven't scratched the surface he goes they use it they weave it through their clothes they use it uh for weapons and for other technological advances like and we've seen pretty much the full extent of how they use vibranium they use it for damn near everything everything and they're able to use something that may eventually become a finite resource but what it is right now, it's not finite right now. And they've been mining it for thousands of years, and they still haven't scratched the surface yet. So they're able to interweave this metal into any and everything that they do to improve upon it. To the point to where Sherry was able to heal what would probably be a fatal injury to Ross using vibranium and the Kamoyo beads. And what's crazy to me is the fact that Claw still calls them savages. Yeah, and I, he I, he knows that they're not primitive. Yeah, but they're still savage. But to him, they're still savages. And it's crazy because it's just and they've been using it for years, and it's just in the moment where he's describing all this stuff, he's almost marveling what they do with it, but still has that enmity and that disdain towards them to still refer to them as savages. Well, he is not so much different from anyone in white America who profits off of black culture and black bodies, but still refuses to acknowledge the black voice. Let's use the NFL for an example. They profit off the use and abuse of black bodies on a daily basis. And when I say profit, (laughs) with a capital P, but... Once an individual kneels down to bring attention to something that's affecting their community, that's when it becomes an issue. 
And news commentators say the same thing about anyone, uh, you know, basketball players who are making political statements or social statements, uh, actors and actresses who, who have statements to make as well. We want them to entertain us. We want to, to profit off of them. We want you to keep churning out hip hop and, and music that's based off of your trauma. Sell us your trauma. Shuck and jive. Make me laugh. Shut up. But don't, yeah, but don't say anything. Your your opinion is not valuable to me. Yeah, and it's it's funny that you mentioned that with athletes and, and um, celebrities and actors and actresses because it's always funny to me when the person's like, oh, well, you know, he's a great player, but I don't care for what he has to say or shut up and dribble or shut up and play the game. You make millions of dollars. Why are you complaining? But as soon as a player were to say something that you're cool with, you want to hike them on a pedestal. So how come they're not being told to just shut up and play? Obviously, we know it's because they're in a, they're yeah. in agreement with your views. But if you were to be fair and use that logic and not be biased, you should be saying that to someone that even agrees with you. Yeah, but that's you, just not how these people operate. Yeah, you should be even-handed, regardless. And when Clint Eastwood or uh, Adam Baldwin or James Woods or any other celebrity who leans to the right makes a political statement that aligns with your conservative views, then you should also say, hey, your job is just to act. Shut up. Mm -hmm. Me, a mechanic, knows a lot more about politics than you ever will, you know? <laughs> or And it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a blue-collar job. It could be me, an accountant, me, a lawyer, me, you know, it, it doesn't matter what your profession is. You still have your own experiences that affect your worldview and your political beliefs and you can't discount someone's experiences because you weren't there yeah you it, it's it's a hard thing to to be able to be like well that doesn't count you can't necessarily say that because who are you to discredit someone's experiences and if it's a millionaire who has the political opinion or somebody who's homeless on the streets, it, it shouldn't be how much money they make determines their moral validity. Or how, my, or how much they can complain. And I think that's a, a big problem of, with people who do make these comments. Because at the end of the day, uh, we know that there's a disparity amongst groups of people in this country for an array of reasons. Whether it's due to political leanings, sexual orientation, financial stability... Uh, skin color, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. So you're looking at somebody like me to where, I'll, okay, everybody, life is hard all the way around. Everybody's got something they're dealing with. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I've seen go around before, it's like we're not saying your life wasn't hard. We're just saying that your skin color wasn't a reason why it was hard. So if I got all these things riding against me, oh, now I'm rich. That's one less thing riding against me. A rich black person is still a black person. Regardless. It doesn't mean that, oh, racism only affects poor black people. Racism affects all black people and other people of color. And that's, well, racism, like, knows no class. Yeah. And think about Terry Crews, right? Mm -hmm. Terry Crews knows about the stereotype of the angry, aggressive black man. Oh, yeah. Which is why he didn't want to step up when he was sexually assaulted. Yeah, and then he was being bashed for it and clowned for it. 
Uh, and, you know, if he would have turned around and knocked that dude into next Tuesday. Another angry been, black man. Exactly. And that's the thing that we always have to keep in the back. I know I have to. And it's just you can't come off too intimidating. You can't come off looking too mean or nasty because if you do, that's what you get pegged as. And then that's just kind of what follows you. Now, after they get back to Wakanda, they come back empty handed, pun unintended, without claw. <laughs> and uh, Wakabi has some words to share with T'Challa. And his uh, issue with him is that he didn't bring back Claw, just like his father didn't bring Claw to justice. And he says, oh, I thought things would be different with this leadership. Instead, it's more of the same. This had me thinking of about of, of leadership and how it does help or doesn't help certain communities, regardless of who the leadership is. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of that scene in Blackish. The um, election episode they had where Dre said that he didn't want to vote. And they said, oh, you don't want to vote. Do you not care about your country? And he says, listen, you know, you guys are feeling now what black people have felt the entire time they've been in America. Now you're finally feeling what happens when leadership lets you down, where the the systems that are put in place don't come through for you. Or it just wasn't what you thought it was going to be. And and this is now this now, you know what it feels like. So what what is to be said about leadership for the black community? There's been a huge argument that we haven't had substantial leadership in our community for a very long time now, Uh, that there hasn't been a leader since the days of MLK and X, because uh, anybody else that's come up after that point just I guess didn't live up to that potential and it's just it's weird because you know on the one hand I look at it like well why do we need that one you know leader to kind of lead us to where we need to go why can't we all be our own leaders and kind of just come together as a community and figure this out but in the days during the civil rights movement Martin Luther King doing what he did it, it made progress like it, it, it definitely helped you know I, I think you had Malcolm X who came in there who gave you a more radical viewpoint uh, but ultimately I think he ended up kind of leaning towards what Martin Luther King was trying to push for and a lot of people don't realize Martin Luther King was a little bit more radical than what he was ma- made out to be he was just the lesser of the two or seemingly the lesser of the two. That Black Panther uh, uniform can only get hit so much yeah. until it starts <laughs> wanting to explode <laughs> So back it's, out. It's it's interesting, though, because if you look at the leadership or the potential leadership after them, you had Jesse Jackson, who tried running for president but made a lot of disparaging remarks about the Jewish community. So pff, there you go with that one. <sighs> you have Al Sharpton, who uh. is, gets looked at as like the boy that cries wolf all the time which kind of like lowers his credibility in certain respects. And then other times it's like, you know, he's going to show up and then Hmm. he's taking selfies now and all that other shit. But yeah. But what about, what about Barack Obama? Did he change things? What was, what was he about? See, the thing is, um, but I want to do this. Did life get amazingly better for black people after he was in leadership? No, no, no. Uh, because, and I hate to say it, but, but no, 
I'd be lying if I took my life did not change monumentally after he was president. The biggest change for me was that I was able to say my president's black. Because what I've noticed is and I'm not even necessarily gonna fault him for it. Yeah. Um because honestly, what I've come to learn is that every presidential candidate or every president has a certain group, has a certain policy, or has a certain bill that they're trying to get passed that's going to define the presidency. Clearly for Trump, it's the border security and the wall. For Obama, it was LGBT rights. Um, I would say for Bush, it was the weapons of mass destruction and the war on Iraq. The war on terror, yeah. Um, with Reagan, what was it? The, uh, the drugs. drugs, even though it was the government's fault that crack was introduced into the black communities. But anyway. Yeah, um, you know, you know. Everybody has like their selling point, their gimmick, if you will, as to what was going to be the defining moment of the presidency. And a lot of black people voted for him because he was black and they just assumed, all right, we're good now. He's going to get us out of this situation. We're going to be good. And honestly, um, and I'm trying to remember who ended up saying they made a good point. They said, like, we just accepted that. And we didn't hold him to any of those kinds of promises or things that we wanted. It was like he did the bare minimum and we just applauded him for that. And mm -hmm. I'm not even saying he didn't do anything good or didn't do anything for us at all, but maybe just not to the extent that everybody thought. And it's because maybe we thought more was going to happen than what did. Maybe we weren't being realistic. Maybe we didn't hold him to a standard that we should have. But it's like... He still looked at ultimately by the black black community as you know like a beacon of hope and progress and everything because he did do something no other black man could and that was yeah. run and win an election to become president of the United States. And it is hard, especially in his case, for a good man to be king. There you go. Uh, it, it that goes back to what Tachaka said. You're a good man with a good heart, and it's uh, hard for a good man to be king. So with all the things that I'm sure Obama wanted to accomplish, he was not able to because the position he was being put in, he couldn't just say, all right, so I'm black and I got to make sure all the black people are situated. I'll worry about y'all later. He can't do that because he is the leader of the free world. Yeah. The whole thing. Not only that, but he had resistance in what the Senate because it was yeah. majority Republican, so he wasn't going to be able to push much through anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of that. But also there was, like, there's a there's a dark history to the Obama presidency also, mm -hmm. you know, with your drone strikes yeah. and, and everything like that. Like, there were war crimes that were committed. But exposing those when he was president would be like, this is what they're not telling you. Exposing those when someone else was president would be like, you're a traitor. That's treason. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I think what a lot of people might need to realize is that, yeah, he did something no other black man was able to do, but he was still a black man in the White House. The only other black people in the White House were the help, mm -hmm. butlers, servers, chefs. This man was like living there. He like, yeah, the fact that he got that far is crazy. Um, I'm I'm am I going to say that he didn't do anything wrong i'm sure he did i'm sure he made mistakes they all do but to look at it and say he didn't try to i don't know if i could say that oh well definitely i don't think anybody could 
No. And you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to say that with with really any president. You you know you're not behind the doors. You wouldn't know yeah. what an individual individual tried to do. Uh, but I think this harkens back to Wakabi saying, you know, I thought things were going to be different. Yeah, and but I it's think more that, of the same. That's the sentiment that I think a lot yeah. of black people had. And in this case, we saw what happened in Korea. T'Challa did. This is back in the movie. We saw what happened <laughs> in Korea. We're stepping out of real life for a <laughs> yeah. second. You know, uh, T'Challa. He did his best to try and get Claw. Well, no, no. Let's let's be clear. They he did get Claw. Claw. That's right. They, here, okay. They're in they're in Korea. They have the skirmish, the car chase. He captures Claw, almost kills him, but thought better of it because of all the cameras, the flashing, and the oh mercy king, this that and the third. They capture him. He decides to play ball with the CIA a little bit because you know he's even telling Ross, "You can question him, but we're taking him back home." And in the middle of that questioning, Killmonger comes. Killmonger comes. Breaks him out, he escapes, and then they come home empty-handed. And it's also funny because it's like I had it listed before. I kind of like, you know, you don't realize that they are playing ball with other organizations kind of behind the scenes. And you kind of see how things like that can kind of fall through. Or it's one of those things where maybe if they had tried to work together better from the beginning, Claw would have made his way back to Wakanda. In this case, Killmonger is able to take power by doing what their previous king, their current king, couldn't. Mm -hmm. He kills Claw, and he brings him to justice. Oh, yeah, street justice. (laughs) (laughs) He does. (laughs) And it's it's interesting because it was was a sweetener. And it's crazy because when you see that scene to where he brings Claw's body... The border tribe are looking at him like, who's this guy? Who are you? Like, what are you doing? And they're ready to attack this man. And then drops the body, shows him, and that changes everything. Mm -hmm. But then it also goes to show you how easily swayed Wakabi was and how big of a deal Claw's capture was to him, that he was willing to be a traitor because somebody did something that his friend and his friend's father couldn't. Yeah, vengeance was huge to him. Retribution, justice, you know, depending. So he's another character who also wanted to seek vengeance upon someone and wasn't able to handle it the best of ways. Mm -hmm. Because look at Wakabi now. We don't actually know where he is. Yeah. Probably locked up, though. Yeah, probably. So, So we have this... This idea, I mentioned before that there was a very transparent comparison between T'Challa and Huey P. Newton. Right from the get-go, they had that promotion of him in the chair, which is a very popular picture of Huey P. Newton as well, in his wicker chair. And uh, in real life, Huey P. Newton was killed in Oakland just a few years before Njobu was. It was 1989. So this is fresh for Njobu. And he ends up raising kind of a Bobby Seal, who is another co-founder of the Black Panther Party. And Bobby Seal's whole thing was about taking up those weapons and as an American, using your Second Amendment right to defend yourself, which at the time, Senator Ronald Reagan was one of the people who was a proponent of gun control because the Black Panther Party had started using and exercising their Second Amendment right. They were becoming militant. He didn't like that. 
and nobody likes that. No, because the scariest thing in America to certain groups of white people was an armed and intelligent black man. Which, in this movie... Is Killmonger. Is Killmonger. He he is the epitome of, like, white people's fears at the time. And I think his tactics were brilliant. He was very much so the beat-them-at-their-own-game. And the awful part about it was is that in his argument with T'Challa... T'Challa's like, you've become what you hate because you're fueled by all of what you've seen and what you've been taught and what you've been exposed to, but you're becoming what you hate to stop what you hate. And to me, that also kind of lends itself to tradition again, because I felt as if tradition um, almost destroyed itself, like it almost collapsed on itself. And the moment where they bring Eric to the council after Wakabi finds him and after he was able to say who he was because they they were able like tradition was used against him in that situation because it was like wait you know obviously I can't speak Dosa because that's what they were speaking yeah. but he was saying I am Ndjaka son of Unjobu he is of royal blood and he wants the throne so now the council after finding out this information and essentially having it confirmed he, that is his birthright. That's how we do things. He does get to challenge. That's how this works. So that was an example of their tradition being used against them. And if he would have actually won, which he ultimately did, he was going to destroy all of that. Yeah. Because after he took up the mantle, uh, burning all the, the heart-shaped herbs, uh, they weren't doing challenges anymore. They weren't going to be isolationists. They were going to send weapons out to all of his war dogs in New York and London and everywhere else. And they were going to give them weapons, usurp those governments, take over and overthrow. They were going to turn the whole notion of tradition on its ear after that point. And it's just crazy to look at that and be like, your tradition was going to be the very thing to cause your demise. At least on the level of how you live your life. Which, if we continue with this Wakanda America metaphor, mm -hmm. I think is very similar. You know, we have all these traditional values. And to be fair, this is coming from a lefty liberal like me. Oh, you're a snowflake. Yes, exactly. The snowiest of <laughs> snowflakes. You, you know, know what's funny? I find that people that always call somebody a snowflake are the real Snowflakes? They're super sensitive. Super sensitive. Super sensitive. <laughs> like over a beer commercial. You never know. Um, but yeah, uh, that there are that tradition really is what's holding us back in a lot of ways. That just because oh well, this isn't how things were done before. That that this is holding people back, you know. But guess what? We we do need something new. Maybe we don't know what that new thing is yet, but people have ideas. You're blinded by your progress in other avenues, but you're still failing to see where you're regressing in others because they're looking at themselves as being super cultured and modern with your weapons and your use of vibranium, but you're still being held back by the policies and the notions that have been uh, carried forward from past generations. And you don't even know for sure if those past generations wanted that to be a permanent thing. We don't know. The thing is, past generations, and I assume in Wakanda, but definitely in America, could not predict 
where we would have ended up. And I think that that's a huge thing to remember with the founding fathers, even though they were slave owners, uh, that they, that, you know, they were a bunch of liberal 20 something college educated dudes who got together to fight an oppressive regime. Like they broke the law and we're like, all right, now here's the rules. So this doesn't happen again. But I highly doubt that, you know, they were like, all right, well, just so we don't get oppressed again, we're going to make the second amendment. And then years from now, they're going to have semi-automatic weapons <laughs> and there's no room to change this at all. You know, the, that's that's not necessarily the case. There There is room for, for nuance and for things to be changed. And it's crazy because if you really want to put things into perspective, this is coming from a period of time to where people were using wooden dentures at a point. So it's like, how much were they really going to be able to foresee changing? Like, yeah. There are no cars, no electronics, people still using candles. Like, come on, dude. Now, if you are referring to George Washington's wooden dentures, that's partially a myth. Is it? He had spring-loaded dentures that had some animal teeth and slave teeth in there. It was nowhere near as clean as just straight. Oh, that makes it even worse. Yeah, there's nothing. <laughs> it wasn't just wooden dentures. So. People didn't shower back then. Yeah, okay. I'm still on the animal teeth part. I just don't understand what, why or just what kind of animal did he pull teeth from? I, I mean, I don't think he pulled the teeth personally, but... I mean, I don't think so either. I doubt he pulled the slave teeth, but... <laughs> Probably not. Um, I think mules and stuff. <laughs> you can look it up. If you're listening to this, look it up. George Washington had dentures made from animal and slaves' teeth. If y'all could see my face right now, <laughs> or just like he valued mule and slave teeth about the same... I think they all did. I'm not proud of them. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so going seamlessly back to this idea of black leaders, right? We spoke about how Bobby Steele can kind of be related to the same ideals that Killmonger and his father shared. We see that when Killmonger takes over, Okoye, who has been a uh, breakout character in this film uh, still has her loyalty not to him but to the throne to the throne now to me this was reminiscent of the issue of black women being overly loyal to their community even when it's detrimental to them you know what um after the recent research we we have uncovered some pretty crazy statistics here but um just uh hold on before we get to that you know at the point of time last year when those elections were going on like especially the one in alabama roy moore where it's like all the black women showed up to make sure he did not get in mm. and i remember i was seeing a gang of posts from people saying you know black women showed up again they had to save the day again and about people not showing up for black women when they need it because, you know, they 
shit. They do a lot of saving. <laughs> and yet aren't really being saved as much in return. Yes, because at the end of the day, they're taking a back seat to everyone else. And I've made this argument before, but I feel like it's hard in general. It's hard to be a person of color, but you know, but it's hard to be a black dude. It is harder to be a black woman in my mm-hmm. opinion. And then I would even go further to say it's hard to be a gay black woman in yeah. this country. Like just incredibly hard. Absolutely. And uh we always have black women going up to bat for us, even when we don't deserve it, because let's face it, some of us ain't shit. But <laughs> they still show up and you know there's a an argument there's a cry for help or a rallying call amongst black women for us to show the the support and respect that they give to us so it's it yeah there's a big disparity there there's this huge idea of feminism in the film and i think it, it was the right film to do it in because black feminism is the realist feminism mm-hmm. Because the idea of feminism is all about equality. So if a white woman is fighting for equality with a white man and a black woman is fighting for equality with that white woman, then they're both fighting to be equal to that white man. Hmm. And if a black woman is equal, then you sure as hell know that a black man is going to be equal too. So like that black feminism is the tide that raises all ships. Hmm. And an article from time that came out in 2014 outlines how domestic violence is an incredible problem in the black community. It's a problem in any community when it comes to women, but the black community is so much more loyal to itself in the way that it'll put racial issues ahead of sexist issues. Yes, because I think part of that has to do with the fact of if you can solve the race issues it benefits both black men and women while if you focus on the sexism issues it's not helping the entire black community per se although if you think about it in a different way you help black women you help everyone yeah i mean it's it's this rough burden to bear on your shoulders right it's do you choose to help yourself as a woman or do you choose to help the your, your community as a as a black person as a person of color uh, according to the national coalition against domestic violence an estimated 1.3 million american women experience domestic violence each year despite this most cases are never reported to the police and most women are victimized by people they know for black women in particular they are almost three times as likely to experience death as a result of domestic violence than white women Jeez. And while they only make up 8% of the population, 22% of homicides that result from domestic violence happen to black women, and 29% of all victimized women, making it one of the leading causes of death for black women ages 15 to 35. Now, a big reason that this article brings up, and you can check in the show notes for it, is that black women do not trust the law enforcement. They don't trust the cops. They don't trust the authorities' synonyms. So they won't call them to come to their aid. And that's a common theme amongst a lot of the black community because they look at it as if they call law enforcement, somebody's leaving dead. Yeah, someone's leaving in a body bag. So it's like, 
do you personally shoulder the abuse in order to protect the life of somebody else? There and, goes that wearing that trauma. It it's exactly what that is. And I don't know if that was necessarily meant to be that, uh, by Ryan Coogler, but that was, you know, kind of something that I got from it, that she is loyal to that throne. No matter who sits upon it. No matter who sits upon it. Her words specifically in that argument she got into with Nakia, where she was saying, uh, well, after the challenge where uh, T'Challa was seemingly killed, they were saying they needed to get out of there. Uh, Nakia was saying that they needed to essentially figure out a way to get rid of Killmonger. And she was like, we got to get out of here. And uh, Okoye said, I can't leave. She goes, she has a duty to her country, and then she has she's loyal to that throne. She's like, I can't just come and go as I choose. And obviously, Nakia took that as a slight because she's not uh you know stat you know static in her uh loyalty to Wakanda because i think her loyalty kind of flows through to the people itself along with Wakanda so uh they had a very good scene in that in my opinion just because you show someone who's not particularly loyal to any one group but to anybody who needs the help which you've seen black women show up for white women. You've seen them show up for black men. You've seen them show up for Jewish women. You've seen them show up for Latina, uh, for the Latin community. And then you have the other one where Okoye is, where she's kind of just like, we need to just stick to our own community. And it can oftentimes be to their own, you know, detriment. Yeah. And in this case, it's interesting because Okoye says at one point uh, that they survived by fighting only when necessary. Only when absolutely necessary. But what's interesting is that they survived by fighting when it was necessary for them. Yes. Which goes back to Killmonger's whole idea of where was Wakanda mm-hmm. when people that looked just like us were dying. Yeah. Being murdered and jailed and you know made to have a lower quality of life. Where was Wakanda? You know, it kind of shows the flaw yeah. in not Okoye's mentality specifically, because, but just the traditional mentality, because yeah. she's not the only one who believes that. No, not at all. She was just probably one of the most prominent characters in the film to display that. Yeah. Now, not much later on, you know, we see this huge battle taking place and Wakandans are fighting Wakandans. There's a civil war going on. And there's all this talk in the film of brothers and sisters, and uh, Mbaku comes to the defense of, of T'Challa and, and those who are still loyal to him. He brings the Jabari tribe down from the mountains. Oh, I think that was all of the Jabari tribe. Yeah. Even the women, too. Is there an unspoken kinship to being black? I think it's there. Uh where you might not be able to have that all across the board. It's there. I can't tell you how many times I've seen another black dude somewhere and there's that, you know, head nod. I see you. Like what's up? What's going on? And I don't it, it's a hard thing to explain, but 
it's definitely there. And oftentimes it happens when we're in an environment where there's a lack of black people. <laughs> so then it's like, I, I'm not the only one. Cool. So, but it, it's just one of those things that I think, uh, for me, I've said it to where like if I go somewhere and there's absolutely no black people there, I feel a little uncomfortable. If I go somewhere and there's at least like a few other black people there, okay. <laughs> All right. Because <laughs> you just you you don't know. You never know. Yeah. Now, what does this does this ever work in the in the inverse? Does it ever work the opposite way? As in, like, you ever see maybe black people that I don't know how to put this because it's going to imply that this like happens as a white looking person mm -hmm. you said you don't consider me white you know depends how i feel the day of but depends on how you do your hair yeah 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 day, <laughs> day by day sometimes i'll see white people doing things and think like oh geez i can't i'm kind of ashamed to look like that and you know whereas stereotypes are negative there are some stereotypes that people do epitomize mm -hmm. in every community do you ever see something like that and you're like, oh, like. Oh, where I'm almost I, embarrassed? Yeah, I wish this kinship wasn't <laughs> wasn't real. Yeah, it's happened. <laughs> it's happened. There have been times where I'm just like, don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, come on. Now he's going to think I'd do it. <laughs> don't give us a bad name. Shit. or Yeah, because it's funny that you mentioned that because to me, it's like all it takes is for one of us to do something bad. We all catch shit for it. But it would take a million of us to do something good to change the perception of a few people, it seems. It's not really on even playing fields. No, not at all. I think it's the issue because if one white person does something, or as it happens in real life, dozens of white people committing acts of terror, nobody thinks, oh, well, all white people are bad. Yeah, they don't even call them what they are, which is a terrorist. Terrorist, yeah. Or a lone wolf, or they had mental issues, or they had a rough life. And it's like, nigga, we all had rough lives. <laughs> I'm not going to sit there and take out my frustrations on my life on a, at a movie theater when people are already getting, like, just destroyed by movie prices and popcorn and things of that nature like they're already getting it <laughs> i don't need to, <laughs> to add to it to the point that like i already paid enough for this popcorn right? as i'm bleeding out let right? me just and it's not to say that it can't happen or maybe that it hasn't happened but it seems like more often than not when you hear of these mass shootings it's committed by a white person who's homegrown but they don't get the terrorist treatment or the thug treatment. Mm -hmm. They they had some type of issue. So to me, it's always crazy that when there are apparently a lot of people uh, in the white community that have some severe mental uh, handicaps or issues. But then again, you don't want to do anything to help people who are in that industry or to do more research on mental health or anything like that or stress that more but that's your scapegoat and if you were to actually solve that problem you wouldn't have the scapegoat there in those types of situations well yeah exactly you'd realize that the problem isn't actually a mental health issue it's just they're a yeah. shitty person because yeah because there's a lot of mental health issues in in the black community as well and, and, and a lot of different communities yeah but, but then i think also 
as a community, we got to do better to uh, have conversations about it. As in the black community. Yeah, because absolutely. Yeah, it seems like because even with me, I I, I would tell I don't do therapy. Yeah. Like they're going to tell you shit you already know. So I pay somebody to tell you something you already know. Well, that's the thing. And that's kind of the Killmonger mentality too, right? Like you don't get to be weak. You don't get that luxury. You don't get to say, oh, this gives me anxiety. You know, and uh, that was on, I'm going to call out this podcast too. I'm going to have to remember to tag all these. Uh, the Culture Kings podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, all black hosts. And it's part of the um, How Stuff Works network. Awesome. And they had, and for the life of me, I can't remember exactly which basketball player it was, but they were doing a segment on him and about how he just wanted to take a break because he's been exhausted. And two of the three hosts were like, were like, come on, man, what do you mean you get exhausted? You get paid millions of dollars to shoot a ball, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is what you do all the time. You don't get to be exhausted. And it wasn't even like a physical exhaustion. It was just emotional exhaustion from doing all this stuff. And the other host, he's like, why can't we just let black men be vulnerable? You know, why can't we just let them be weak for once? Yeah. You know, cause, yeah, I can't emote like that. And it's the crazy thing is it's not even like my dad was like, you can't do that. Or my mom was saying you can't do that. It's just like society and all the other outside forces. And I just I'm not comfortable doing it. It's hard for me to express myself. It's hard for me to emote to somebody, which is why I tell people I can't sympathize with you. And most of the time it's because I don't want to because I <laughs> that's my own personal thing. I don't like to pity people because I don't think it helps them. But I can't sympathize with you because I don't work that way. I don't do the compassion thing. I've, I've been told I'm a very cold person at times because I just don't register things on that level. I don't operate on that emotional level. I'm logic, reasoning, data, things of that nature. I can't do that with you. And yet, if you were to go to that ancestral plane, might see a tear from you. Who knows? Who knows, man? Yeah. There you go. So, leading into that, because you mentioned it's not necessarily that you were raised that way or whatever. I mean, I kind of was. You know, this idea of not really showing vulnerability. But you had a bit that you wanted to speak about regarding family members and lies and stuff right yeah i well what i wanted to get into was just that lies and this is kind of goes without saying but they complicate everything that's pretty much what is behind the one of the biggest themes in the movie if you think about it because you got to look at it on multiple levels on a very broad level Wakanda as a nation is lying to the rest of the world about what they are, who they are, and what they're capable of. Now, while I can understand why they would do such a thing because they want to keep Wakanda safe because the tradition was to always keep Wakanda safe and the people within Wakanda safe. But you see that had they not lied or kept up with the lie, how if they would have gotten involved in certain world events the course of things could have changed for the better or just the results would have been vastly different. Now, if we want to minimize that, King T'Chaka, he lied about 
the situation involving Njobu to T'Challa and I'm assuming the rest of Wakanda. And as the result, uh, even T'Challa says it, what was created, they created a monster. What they did made the situation worse. That Killmonger was something of their own doing. So by him wanting to keep up with the lie, he created a monster in Killmonger. Who's his nephew? And his nephew, the lie, could have destroyed everything that he lied for, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I think it was this idea of him wanting to keep up that lie uh, because the truth represented such a a smear. An ugliness. Yeah, it was an absolute ugly truth, and that is reminiscent of America to a T. We may have achieved great things, but you can't deny the dark, dark history. Yeah, the the blood that's on America's hands, the bodies that we have stepped on or have built things upon. Yeah, and the process of getting to where we are now. You you gotta wonder, like, just to touch on the uh, the war criminal thing with uh, Snowden and everything. They wouldn't have been um, sought after so vehemently if what they had to say wasn't true or if it wasn't detrimental to america and i think that's definitely got to put some things into perspective because if you want to go back to wakanda now if he were to come home and say he killed his brother because he betrayed wakanda and he left someone of royal blood in oakland how 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 would t'chaka look after that well, I think that was honestly the worst part because T'Challa isn't upset at his father when he goes back to the ancestral plane. I don't think he's upset with his father for killing his own brother. He said, why didn't you bring the boy home? Mm-hmm. That was the big thing. Just bring him home. Why? You, you know, you, you created a monster. And the worst part is that's so common where he came from. Mm-hmm. What happened to Killmonger happens to people all the time. So... Maybe they might not have the same means or the same mind that Killmonger has. But what kind of monsters are created then? What kind of people are set up to fail from the beginning? What kind of people do horrible things as adults and you go back and look at where they came from and go, wow. No wonder. This person was never given a chance. Mm -hmm. Or had this happened to them, maybe they'd be a different person. And you can even draw that back to what we were talking about earlier about how we don't want they don't want anybody coming into Wakanda but if they need to go somewhere else that's fine because you send your own brother on a war, a war dog assignment to America in California Oakland specifically to spy right yeah what was the point of it like what were you hoping to find out from doing that so it's it just it all kind of comes back to all of that, like the lengths that you were willing to go to uphold the tradition of keeping Wakanda safe through isolation. And also, it really kind of hammers home the whole, it's hard for a good man to be king. Because I think he implied that you're going to have to do some bad things to be king. Yeah, and that's and that is the tradition. This idea of how, what, how do we hold our leaders accountable, right? Mm-hmm. These days when somebody complains about Donald Trump, there's two main what about isms. 
that people go to the say, oh, well, what about Hillary? Blah, blah, blah. You think she would have been much better? But it doesn't matter how good or how bad Hillary would have been. I'm going to hold my leader accountable regardless. Mm-hmm. And would she have been perfect? Fuck no. no. But I would have held her accountable also. Yep. You know, at no point would I have been like, oh, she did this, but at least she's not Trump. No. that, And then they, the other one is they go, well, what about Obama? Obama did this. Obama did that. Blah, blah, blah. It, it, hold your leaders accountable regardless, which is what T'Challa learns to do. He doesn't just yell at his father in the ancestral plane. All of the Black Panthers that came before him, you were all wrong. And that's what he says. That's, and that is his moment. That's his growth. That's his maturity because he realizes things aren't so uh, black and white. That There's a gray area. There is. And, and there's he, room and for growth. that's the moment to where he breaks the cycle or makes the decision to break the cycle. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, and him breaking the cycle was at the expense of Eric because yes. there was no way he was going to be able to do that given their situation. There was too much hate between them. Um, there was too much. Um, there was too many lies. He was radicalized. You can't revert him back to being that kid anymore. So he's who he's going to be. And if they didn't destroy those ships that were going to transport those weapons to New York and London and everywhere else, who knows what would have happened. And he was saying that we, we have to stop him. He has to go. So they that was a mess that he had to clean up. Yeah. And that was um and I think that's the worst part of it too, is that he was able to sympathize for his cousin. That he barely knew. That he barely knew. And that also I think bled into why he wasn't able to fight him to the best of his ability. Cause what I've noticed is uh, T'Challa is very much so led by his emotions. He can keep a calm head and, uh, you know, assess the situation with the best of them. But if there's something weighing heavy on his heart or if there's something affecting him on that level, it distorts things for him. Because even with his fight with Umbaku, uh, I think he was kind of in his own head about things. And then it was that moment where Ramonda, his mom, was saying, show him who you are. To where he snapped out of it. Love that moment. And he was just like, I'm Prince T'Challa. And he's going to be king of Wakanda. And then in uh, the moment where he was fighting Eric, I think the guilt and the lies and all that was weighing down on him. And that affected how he fought. And not that he gave up. It's just that he wasn't him. Yeah. So it, it was interesting to see it. And then... After being revived, in a sense, and going back, he was renewed, and he was able to get the job done that time. Yeah, well, I think he knew what he had to do, regardless of this gray area, because because you know Killmonger was going to fight to the death. Oh, yeah. Now, T'Challa, he didn't want to kill him. Now, I'm just talking about the, uh, the, the ceremony at the waterfall. Killmonger was definitely going to fight him to the death, and I don't think that T'Challa wanted to kill him. Mm-mm. And even in the end, that's not what he wanted to do. Because he even said, I still think we can heal you. Yeah, they have their fight on the Underground Railroad, and he ends up stabbing Killmonger, 
takes him to finally see the sunset in this beautiful moment. That his dad talked about so much. Yeah, he realizes that, and you know, Killmonger decides to die. He does he's not gonna he's not gonna live in captivity. He's not gonna live in prison. Yeah, uh, and then he has the the very popular quote at the end where he says something to the effect of I'm not going to do it justice but bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that uh, jumped from the ships because they knew that death was better than bondage yeah so it's uh, that's a very powerful quote uh, because you know what would his life have been if he would have just complied I mean probably pretty good not for him but I think it would have <laughs> it's Wakanda like I'm sure they have some pretty sweet. They have a sweet jail set up and stuff. And probably not. He'd probably be under 24 hours of surveillance. Yeah, but T'Challa. The thing is, T'Challa is a cool dude. Like, I think. I think. I don't think things would have been that bad. I do. Now this is time for my little theory. Okay, my theory is that T'Challa, because there was a wide shot when the two of them were there, and yeah, and Eric had died. T'Challa like reaches from his hip and then puts his hand and then puts Eric's hands in a cross on his chest. I think there's a good chance that he put a Kamoyo bead in Eric's chest. We know for a fact that A, the Kamoyo bead worked on Everett Ross mm-hmm. and saved his legs, if not his life. B, the heart shaped herb has certain healing qualities. Mm-hmm. And Eric had the heart shaped herb in his system. C, this entire movie is about breaking cycles and not being your father. Maybe T'Challa had a, a, a moment of judgment where he he felt too invested in it because, honestly, if it was Killmonger's decision to die, he should have died. That was his decision. But I think that there's a good chance that T'Challa, over the guilt and over this idea of, you know, my father killed your father, I'm not going to kill you. Maybe put a Kamoyo beat in there. And somewhere in Wakanda, Killmonger is still alive. Likely, no. But how awesome would that be? It would be pretty cool, and it's not like comic book characters can't die and be resurrected. Absolutely. I mean, uh, we know everybody's coming back in Endgame. So. There you go. And, and there's a cool way to do, like, you could do a couple things, right? You could do T'Challa comes back in Endgame. And then for Black Panther 2, he, like, remembers everything that happened. And he's just like, listen, I need a break. He leaves or something like that. The city of Atlantis, led by Namor. Oh, you're talking about that whole thing? Wouldn't that be cool? The city of Atlantis, led by Namor, decides to attack Wakanda. And they're like, we need a king. Who do we go to? And they go down into the depths of Wakanda. And boom. Boom. Wake up, Killmonger. Uh, now, uh, as yeah, cool as that theory is, I, I don't think that's what happened. Probably not. But because that. I was I was paying attention for it to see. It simply to me just looked like he, he crossed just, his hands. crossed his hands. And it's like it's interesting, too, because he crossed his arms in the same fashion that they do when they do the Wakanda forever. Uh, and it, I think it was symbolic and poetic for him because... He's a. We can certainly say he's never done it. Uh, he was looked at as an outsider by everybody. Oh, wow! Yeah, he never and, did the Wakanda chant. And then finally, at the end, in his death, he's not an outsider anymore. 
Wow. That never even occurred to me. Right? That was beautiful. That was beautiful. So it's it's interesting, and it's really funny because as far as, like, the actors involved in the scene, Michael B. Jordan tried to, like, step up for Chadwick Boseman saying, like, can y'all stop asking him to do the Wakanda for everything? It's getting kind of old because he's been doing it for, like, eight months. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So it's just funny to me that it's, like, at the end of that one, he finally gets to do it. And then in real life, Michael B. Jordan's like, hey, yo, chill out with that (laughs) because... can't just keep asking him to do that um so of course we come to an end in the film we see that t'challa decides to use his resources to give back to the disenfranchised he goes to the exact same neighborhood where his uncle had been killed to the same building he buys that building Mm -hmm. and he wants to set up a a wakandan outreach program yes he has nakia head and then he wanted to set up a science program that Shuri was going ahead. So, and then I think it was an awesome part because at the same basketball court Eric was at when Unjobu was killed, uh, you see these four or five different boys playing yeah. basketball and they see the ship and they're enamored by the ship. And one boy in particular looks at uh, T'Challa and says, is that yours? And he just looks at the kid and he's like, who are you? And it kind of makes you wonder, had that been what happened with Eric, how different would his life be? Wow. If instead of just, shit, I killed my brother, we got to get the fuck out of here. Never talk about this ever again, James. I mean, Zuri, uh, let's get the fuck <laughs> out of here. If he would have been like, listen, uh, we're going to take you home. Uh, you need to get on this ship. We have things we got to talk about. How different would his life be? Absolutely, because he was all about Wakanda, right? You know, and it would have been rough because you lost your father, but also... You would have gained an entire community. Yeah. You would have gained an uncle, cousins, an aunt, other family, uh, other tribes to have a kinship with. Although he still could have ended up wanting to do what he did because he would still remember people back home like his mother. Yeah, that's true. outsider. That's and, true. You know, his friends. Yeah. But but also knowing that, you know, what was done was done for the throne. Yeah. But then he might have felt super entitled to that throne. That is possible. There are a lot of things. But but yeah, uh, you know, what you just said really harkens back to this idea of just seeing wow. That can be mine. That what they said looks like a Chitari spaceship. No, they said oh, it looked like a Bugatti, no Bugatti spaceship. A Bugatti spaceship. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Talking about selling on eBay. That was perfect. Damn it, I fell into it because one of the podcasts I was listening to said, "Oh, did they think it was a Jabari spaceship? What does that mean?" Or no, they said Chitari spaceship, and I remember saying in my head, "I'm like, no, it's a Bugatti spaceship. It's a car that they're referencing, you guys." <laughs> Stop I, it. I just fell into it. You did. Um, but yeah, just <laughs> but just seeing that, oh, wow, I can have this. You don't think anything is attainable. You don't think you're ever going to overcome, but you see someone else who has gotten theirs, and you go, okay, I'm going to be the next one. There's a good chance that that kid could be a superhero later on. Yeah, you inspired that kid simply through you 
being present. And he did what Eric wanted to do, but he didn't provide weapons. He provided knowledge. And knowledge. And just now there's this notion of, I don't know who this dude is, but he has this crazy looking spaceship. I got to find out. And then they get to be a part of the outreach program or the science program. And they learn about all the stuff that Sherry knows about or even just a piece of it. And then they'd be able to take that and better their lives from that. And, of course, in the mid-credits scene, there is this, in case you didn't get the idea of what this movie was about, there's this uh, scene of T'Challa speaking in front of the UN, right? Yes. And he says some stuff. Yes. He is pretty much, to kind of just paraphrase, saying that um, we're going to uh, provide aid. Uh, we're going to kind of like come out of the shadows and that, you know, we do have our differences, but we should all act as if we're a part of the same tribe. He was saying, you know, in times of crisis, the wise build bridges while the foolish build barriers. And he was saying that that's something that they shouldn't be doing. They should be coming together. And he was saying that, you know, Wakanda was going to be a big part of that. So then I think it was a UN member that was pretty much just like, what is Wakanda going to be able to do? Because they're still going off of the fact that they believe Wakanda is a third world country that just deals in textiles. Shithole country. Yeah, like you just think, you just see the smirk on T'Challa's face. just just like, you have no idea. I'm going to learn today. <laughs> You're you going to learn today, UN. But that, is, uh, but that is such an interesting idea because when you really think about, oh, we don't want immigrants coming over here and bringing this and bringing that. Steve Jobs' parents were refugees. Now, should we be letting people over here just because we think they can help us? And, you know, not necessarily. You know, we should be letting people over here because it's it's the right thing to do. Well, as mean, long as it's that's the selling point of yeah. this place, is it not? Yeah. Not only that, I mean, if you think of like what Rockefeller, Carnegie, they were immigrants, weren't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many people that immigrated here uh, were became something great? And even if they don't, that shouldn't be the takeaway that shouldn't be what you go off with to determine whether someone is worthy of coming here don't profess to be the melting pot and the american dream and all this other stuff but you have an issue with certain people making their way into this country yeah i mean there are great medical and scientific minds and even great creators and entertainers from all around the world and there are even just regular people trying to live regular lives there's that as well which there's there's nothing wrong with that because you need those people absolutely i've never met anyone who loved america more than my boss from the chinese restaurant that i used to work at he was uh he was telling me about how terrible it was growing up in his little rural village in china and how much he loves america because you know of the fact that you can get medical attention and then pay for it afterwards instead of just having to die because you're poor. Mm. <laughs> you know? And when we, you hear that, that puts some stuff into perspective. It really does. And, you know, he he does love love this country. And I think last I heard of him, he went into the military. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They sold the Chinese restaurant. What? 
Yeah, I know, it's rough. So, so that is the case. There's this, you know, build bridges, not barriers. Uh, don't make... operate as if we're a part of one tribe. Yeah, don't build, uh, don't create enemies and deny your history in doing so. Hold on to your tradition, but not to the point to where it becomes a detriment to yeah. yourself. And uh, the most important scene in the film, I would say, the post credit scene... <laughs> <laughs> you have you have Shuri who um has woken up the white wolf. No, the kids woke up the white wolf. The kids woke up the white she wolf. She's trying to shoo them away. Shuri has cleaned out his mind and ideally rehabilitated him because he was brainwashed. And if you said the right words in the right order in the right language in front of him, he would go insane. And just start killing folks. There you go. So she has this whole bit with him, which is nice. Didn't really have to be put in the movie, but it's cool that it was there. You find out that Bucky is living a good old life in Wakanda. Bucky's back. Yes. And there's uh, a nice takeaway. Black women are magical because they did something nobody in America or Russia could do. Mm. And that was uh, get Bucky back. That's right. And I have one question for you. Oh, boy. Do you think Bucky is allowed to say the N word? I'm, I'm, whew, uh, <laughs> that's gonna be a fuck no. Okay, cool. All right, like, so that's uh, a no. Bucky might be invited to the cookout, though. He'll be invited to the cookout. Like, he'll get a plate, but nah, he ain't saying nigga. Yeah, so, fair enough. Fair enough. Like, after all they did for him and he thinks he gets entitled to say, nah, fam. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, he's just like, can I do Wakanda forever? And they're like, you need two arms for that. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so Bucky knows this place. Oh, yeah, I would think so. Don't bite the hand that gives you an arm. Nice. Good, 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 good. All right. So any uh, closing statements regarding this film, what it represents, what it means, what happened in it? Well, I, I for one, would like to say it was an awesome movie uh blackness was at an all-time high watching this movie uh there was such a feeling of community amongst the black community when this movie was coming out i can't tell you how many videos i saw people in like kente cloth and just like dancing and celebrating the movie and just showing up for this movie and just showing their support and adoration for this movie and it even stemmed beyond just people in the black community there were people of other backgrounds that also loved the movie for what it was and what it represented and also what it could mean for their communities too. Because mm-hmm. hopefully this uh, gives you more conversations, this gives you more diversity, and this shows you that uh, one, you know, a movie with a predominantly black cast can do well domestically. And globally, because that was one of the arguments that were being made as to why they didn't make movies that casted a predominantly black cast, because they don't know if it would do well overseas. And it's like, well, if you think about it, not everybody overseas is white, but you have plenty of movies with predominantly white cast. I don't think they have a problem with that. Yep. So I think I'm hoping that from this point that those weak arguments are kind of put to bed. And that you get more diversity, not just to pander to a particular quote, audience, unquote, quote, unquote, pander, but to so you get to see an a- 
accurate portrayal of people, you know, because there's there's more to America and the world than just white folks. Sorry to break it to you. No, absolutely. (laughs) And I've said that many a times with arguing with people online, as I tend to do, is they're like, oh, they want to make this Avenger this color or, oh, they want a more diverse Avengers, blah, blah, blah. I was like, the Avengers are a New York based team. Mm hmm. Go to New York City one day in your life. Tell me how many different types of people you see. Plenty. You know, and that's that's and we're it. We're not even talking the tourists. Oh, the actual <laughs> inhabitants of New York yeah. City. That's one of the most diverse cities in the country. Period. And it's not as if I believe in the term political correctness because it's not a real thing. No, just like black on black crime, Hispanics and other terms that were made up by cranky ass white people. There but you anyways. Go. Uh, but it's just a matter of being correct. If you want to make a superhero team based in New York, it should have a lot. Not only white people are going to get the superpowers, right? Like that just makes no sense. <laughs> not only white men are going to get like, the superpowers. Like even superpowers are racist. They're just like, <laughs> nah, Pam, we can't give you that. That's you gotta same, be of a certain ilk to receive super strength. Like, all right. That same spider hops off of Peter, bites a black right? kid, and, and the kid like, just dies. <laughs> like, oh, what about my powers? Come on. No, like he sits there and he's like, oh man, who am I gonna hop onto? He sees, like, Peter, he's like, he seems all right. But then he's like, what about that guy over there? Nah, I don't bite black people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, um, so yeah, it is very important to have this, uh, this representation and to just know that based on the numbers, the sales numbers alone, minority is just a word at this point. The minority is not the minority. That's right. The minority is coming out as the majority to show how they feel with their dollars. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to see how much buying power black people have. Mm-hmm. Or just anybody from, you know, uh, anybody from a minority community. Yeah. And you mentioned before when it comes to voting also. That if they decide to come out to vote. They show up. That minority is not the minority anymore. Uh, I know there were a lot of people saying like, oh, this isn't, you know, a racial movement. It's just a movie, blah, blah, blah. You know, we don't get like this whenever this movie comes out and that movie. Yeah, because you always have those characters. You'll always have these white characters. And it's always easy to speak from that perspective because you don't know anything else. Now, if we were to live in a world to where there wasn't there was plenty of representation of black people and it was white audiences that felt like they were underrepresented or marginalized would you be singing the same tune i doubt it definitely not and what was interesting is that martin freeman the actor who played everett ross did mention behind the scenes that he felt finally what it was like to be a minority because the majority of the cast and crew were black and he's like oh so this is how black people feel all the time. All the time. And that's how I felt watching Luke Cage for the first time also. I was like, wow, there's like no white people in this show. Except we- for the one crooked guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, weird. Uh, but, th- you know, then I you know, noticed. I'm like, oh, all right, there you go. Um, but, yeah, it, it may not be a racial movement. But I'd be ignorant, willfully ignorant, if... I were to say 
that it doesn't represent something. And hopefully, a couple years down the road, probably be later, but hopefully a couple years down the road, it won't. Hopefully it'll be the norm. Just think about it. How great would it be if whenever you see a lineup for movies, there's just an array of different actors, actresses, writers, producers, directors from all different backgrounds because you get to get different stories from different people. You know, uh, someone like uh, Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese wouldn't be able to tell the same story Ryan Coogler can. Absolutely. Or even Ava DuVernay. Mm-hmm. So I think you open yourself up to get a lot of very interesting, compelling, and different stories being told when you have different people telling the stories. No, that's a really good point to, to go out on. That in entertainment, in everything, variety is the spice of life. I would agree. And if you're tired of the same old, same old in Hollywood or whatever you're playing or watching or anything like that, it would be time to shake things up because different people can tell different types of stories. That doesn't mean that black characters should only be directed by black directors or white for white or women for women or anything like that. But it is important to bring a multitude of experiences into this space. And that whereas I may not feel that Black Panther is a movement, I know what it what it represents. And I was right there crying in the theater. My mom had no idea why. My father <laughs> and I were both crying. And I said, well, what color is, is Captain America's skin? And she said, white. I said, what color is Iron Man's skin? And she said, iron. <laughs> I don't think she got what I was getting at. <laughs> um, but, you know, but white... I don't think white superheroes take away from anyone who's not white, but they also don't necessarily provide anything to those characters either. Yeah. And maybe that's not always the point of it, but there's something to be said about a group of people who are so used to seeing somebody in a heroic position that looks like them versus somebody who isn't. And there you go. And when you, you know, it's much better to see that than to always see them as the villain or the gang member or the sidekick or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, Falcon's cool. War Machine's cool too, but. They're not T'Challa though, man. They're not. Because, I mean, let's look at it this way. Is Clint Barton getting his own movie? Nah. Right? Nah. Or War Machine or Falcon getting their own movie? No. T'Challa did. There you There's go. something to be said about it. That's it. So, for the Politipop podcast. This is Joshua Williams signing off. (laughs) And this has been Mike Booch. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, no matter what sort of media you're taking in, if you're reading something, watching something, listening to some music, or even playing a video game, always remember to keep thinking, keep learning, and to read between the lines. So that was it. Hopefully you enjoyed part two of our Black Panther breakdown. Thanks to Josh for joining me again. Can't wait to have him on another podcast. Thanks to all of you for listening. Special thanks to Antonia Little for logo design. Whether you liked or hated whatever we had to say, let us know. You can find us on Twitter at PolitipopPod. Find us on Instagram at PolitipopPodcast. Email us at PolitipopCast at gmail.com. And find our show notes and sources at PolitipopPodcast.wordpress.com. 
For listening to the entire thing, I'm going to treat you to a fun song to write out into your weekend on This Is All Black Everything by Lupe Fiasco, followed by some outtakes. Go! You will never know what you could ever be If you never try, you will never see Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave So one no slaves in a history One no slave ships, one no misery Call me crazy, or isn't he? See, I fell asleep and I had a dream It was all black, everything we ain't get exploited White man ain't fearing so he did not destroy it We ain't work for free, see they had to employ it Built it up together so we equally appointed First 400 years, see we actually enjoyed it well, While we are on the T'Challa What's Eric's Wakanda name again? Unjadaka What? Unjadaka Did I write that? <laughs> for real? So it's like N Apostrophe Ja Da what the fuck it's not it's not a jungle what no, is because it because there ain't no fucking jungles in there no right it's a plane it it's literally a is plane. It, it's a fucking plane right yeah like it's disney's some, yeah. anyway um <laughs> nakia and okoye have i can say those fucking correctly <laughs> Uh, should I mention Post Malone? No. Fuck him. He doesn't deserve the time of day. Yeah, or just the fact that you're blinded <laughs> by your oh. progress. The fuck was that? It was a perk. <laughs> uh, we see that T'Challa decides to use his resources to give back to... I completely agree. And that's a really good point to go out on. Um, peace. <laughs> <laughs>